listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, yeah, I'm not Pastor Kevin. <laughs> Pastor Kevin, of course, is um, he's actually off in Georgia this weekend. He had a 30th high school class reunion that was, that was supposed to be celebrated last year, and they pushed it forward to this year. So I saw that he got an opportunity to go to um, the Georgia Bulldogs football game yesterday, and, and they won for him. That's always fun when you go to see your, your team play and they actually win. It's a bummer when they lose and you have to walk out, you know. Everybody else is, all the other players, the fans are just chatting in your ear. You ever been to a game and your team lost and you had to walk out humiliated with the other fans talking about how better they are and you can't even say anything? It's terrible. But that's where Kevin was this weekend. Um, so he asked if we could um, um, fill in in his absence. So we'll do our very best. We're going to continue the study in the book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Um, if, if the Lord will, we're going to um, try to learn a little bit from this scripture today. Um, we're going to start in chapter, in chapter 9, verse 51. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for um, our church. Lord, we thank you for our, the people that are here, God, that we can come and we can um, come together and worship you in song. Um, and God, that we can lift each other up in, in prayer and help bear one another's burdens. God, I just pray that um, as we're here today, that this time as we start looking into your word, that you will um, revelate our mind to be able to say what you would have us to say. Lord, bless our ears to hear, our minds to understand, but more importantly, our heart to receive your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in the, throughout the book of Luke, um, we've seen a number of memorable and important events, things that you've talked about um, ever since Sunday school. Uh, and, and it's, and a lot of these right here in the book of Luke. So let's recap some of those things that, um, that, uh, Jesus did just in chapter nine. So we remember, if you recall, that he sent the, 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 uh, apostles out to experience ministry on their own. So for the first time, he told them, you go out and you go to the various locations around the area and and minister in my name. And he said this though, he said, if they will not receive you, remember he said they won't receive you, what 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 did he say they had to do? Yeah, just get outside the city and just wipe the dust off your feet and just keep going. Don't worry about it. Because you know there's gonna be people who will reject and there will be people who will accept. Don't spend so much time worrying about the rejection because you've done your job you've planted the seed you've shared the gospel you've extended a hand and if they won't take it just keep moving don't get all worked up about it he also remember he fed 5,000 men so at least 5,000 people with what five loaves and two fish it's a miracle, right? Sometimes we wish we could get that miracle around our house. 
right? We all eat, and man, there's always enough. Let me say, God provides. There's always enough. And, and that's what he was, I think, telling um, the disciples. And, and the lesson that day is, I will provide, and there will always be enough. Even when you don't think so, there's always enough. He also asked, you remember, he asked the question, who do you say I am? And the answer was, well, we believe you're the Christ. Uh, who, what, are, what do other people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say I am? We believe you're the Christ. That confession Jesus shared in this chapter that he would be rejected, he would be killed, and he would be raised on the third day. But he instructed them not to tell anyone. It's not time. Don't tell anyone yet. It's important. Then, the transfiguration. When he told them that, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised... He said, but there's some of you here that's going to see the kingdom of God before you taste death. And then right away, we see the transfiguration where they got a glimpse of the glory of heaven. Scripture, uh, Luke 29, verse 31, it says, And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish. Where? At Jerusalem. Last week, Kevin shared about how he healed the boy with the unclean spirit. How he answered the question of the disciples when they were saying, well, who's the greatest among us? Who's the greatest? And reminded them that there are others who will minister in the name of Christ. And if they're not against us, they are for us. It's not just us four and no more. I've heard that in today's society with churches. Oh, it's just us four and no more. Well, that's not how the kingdom of Christ is. That's not how he planned things to go. And so um, he reminded them there that there will be others who will also minister in my name. So that leads us to um, this, uh, this verse, verse number 51. And I want you to, to notice or, or, or consider this as we continue uh, the study in the book of Luke. There's a shift that takes place right here in this verse. Because before this verse, he was saying things like, don't tell anybody. Or he was looking for privacy in places where he could be just with his disciples. There were times that, um, that, that he avoided publicity. But in verse 51, it starts a change. A change is coming. The lessons will be increasingly deeper. The urgency of his message begins to appear. And he starts to be much more bold in his statements um, as, he's, as he's confronted by, um, by various people during his ministry. He starts to, to, to talk with great purpose and presence in a way that he had just not yet. It was more veiled. And as we go through Luke, you'll start to see where his comments are going to start being much more direct and plain. So there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of, 
of space to go yet in Luke. We're, in, we're at the end of chapter 9. There's a few more verses left in chapter 9. We're going to get to chapter 10. But it's like chapter 19 before we're getting to the real, um, you know, the, the climax of, of, this, of this story. In between, there's a lot of things for us to be paying attention to. Luke 9, 51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Well, let's just talk about that verse one time. Because I, I, I kind of walked us back through chapter 9 for a reason. Because I wanted to point out various events and things that were said that when we get into this portion of Scripture, it's going to look a little different. One... It says, he drew near, when, when the days drew near for him to be taken up. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means that um, at the end of his time, of his ministry, is starting to come to a close. It's starting to ramp up and lead to the time when he was betrayed in the garden, the time that he was put in a makeshift court, the time that he was, uh, that he was beaten, and the time that he was betrayed, the time that he had the cross on his back, and he was crucified for our transgressions. It says, when the day drew near for him to be taken up, and there was a lot of taken up coming. What I mean by that is, in a few, a few chapters, we'll see on Palm Sunday, how Jesus was coming in and the crowd was, was all for him, right? They were lifting him up, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he was coming into the city. A short time later, he was offered up to that very same crowd, but now they shouted, crucify him. He was then lifted up on a cross, and he was raised from the dead. Ultimately, he ascended into heaven to take his rightful spot, the right hand of the Father. There was a lot of taken up to do. Jesus knew this time was coming. And it says, he set his face to Jerusalem. He set his face just means that he resolved. He made up his mind. Now is the time. Now imagine you knowing what's ahead of you. And he still set his face to Jerusalem. Remember that verse I just, I just read about from the transfiguration where it said Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem so he knew it's coming there was a powwow there was a huddle on the top of that mountain so now it's it's time Let's, let's start these end days, these end lessons, and let's finish this thing. We're in the fourth quarter. That's either good or bad, depending upon which side of the ball you're on. <laughs> um, I'll just leave that alone. Um, so it's a, it's a shift in the fact that he is turning his sights towards Jerusalem and he is not going to be deterred. He has decided that this is the last time 
that I'm going to make this journey, that walk, that trek through the hillsides, through the little towns and villages as he makes his way into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry and, and all of those events that's, that's to take place. He knew. And he set his, he set his face to Jerusalem. As I mentioned before, Jesus up to this point evaded publicity as much as he could. He would heal somebody and say, hey, don't, don't tell anybody. Keep this to yourself. Keep this between us. Because he knew that people would start seeking him out for the physical um, blessings and not understand and miss the spiritual blessings that were coming. And there was already a crowd that was forming, following him wherever he went. And they were all looking to be touched or to find something, to learn something from this guy. And, and Jesus is, is trying to avoid that. But after this verse, you will never see the words that say, don't, get, don't tell anybody. After this verse, that ends. As a matter of fact, in some ways, after this verse, Jesus doesn't shun the publicity he willingly walks into the spotlight and it's not that he is raising um, a a commotion or or asking people to look on him and and to take their eyes off of the ultimate goal that was taking place here he was just willing to now step out into the spotlight and say, you know, they, at one point uh, during his trial, they asked him, you know, are you the son of God? And he said, well, you said it. I'd like to, I'd like to you know, with texting, you can't tell the, the way it's said, the inflection. Did he say, you said it? No, that's too arrogant. Did he say, you're the one who said that? I don't know. That'd be a good question when we get there, won't it? So how, how, how exactly did you say that? You play that out for me one more time. But, but he didn't dodge and avoid what was coming after this verse. And now, so, so he set his sights towards Jerusalem. So to get there, there were a variety of little uh, cities and villages and towns that he would go through. And he made up his mind that he was going to go through a Samaritan village. So Let's read that um, going on in, chapter, in verse 52. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So the Samaritans, you'll recall, don't have a good relationship uh, with the Jewish people. The Jewish people have always ostracize them they're outcasts they're 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 put away they're not the people of God and and we are and so there was always this this division you'll recall Jesus ministered to a Samaritan woman at the well you remember the the story where uh, the 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 parable of the good what Samaritan Jesus wasn't opposed to the Samaritans but the Samaritans were opposed to what the Jewish people And so as his face was set towards Jerusalem, they're like, you know what? No, you're going to Jerusalem. That's where those people are. And so we're not going to entertain you being here in our village. Your face is set to Jerusalem. You need to keep moving to Jerusalem. 
And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. I'm going to just camp out right here, because this is, that's the, the end of our scripture that we're going to talk about today, that 51 through 56. But I find a lot of interesting stuff in here. Because, number one, you know, Jesus knows we're going to go through this Samaritan village, and he has this foresight that he likely knew that they were not going to be accepted there. One of the lessons earlier in this chapter was, if you're not accepted, do what? Wipe the dust off your feet and keep on moving. So, I wonder, was this a, was, was this a test for the disciples, they say, we're going to go through this, this city. You go ahead. You, you get, make preparations for us. And then, nope, you can't stay here. And what, is James, what did James and John immediately do? Well, do you want us to rain fire from heaven to consume them? Now, can you imagine Jesus? We don't know what he said. It says he rebuked them. Was it, ah, guys, you know. We're bigger than that. Let's move on. Um, maybe it was, guys, when was the last time you saw me rain fire down from heaven because I didn't like the way someone treated me? Real talk. That's what Jesus said. Real talk. When did I ever instruct you to pray down fire from heaven if someone didn't receive you? Seriously. If I recall, it was the beginning of this chapter in verse 5 that I told you to keep moving and wipe the dust off your fettuccine. Oops, that's a typo. I meant feet. No, I literally wrote that because I thought it would be funny. Um, Jesus, basically, he rebukes and says, you know what, guys, I have never instructed you to retaliate. There's something about power that makes people, um, that corrupts people, right? You see it in politics. Somebody gets a little bit of power, and, and now all of a sudden they're better than everybody, and they make the decisions, and it doesn't matter if it's good or bad as long as it's good for me. It's not just the government either. I've seen it in high school politics. I've seen presidents of clubs in high school be like, nope, this is the way we're doing it. Why? Because I'm the president, and I said so. So they get a position that they think equals power, and the next thing you know, they are being corrupted by the very thing that they, they sought. People seek power. People seek fame. And I think the lesson here, it's not so much about Jesus um, teaching the disciples. Yes, it, I, I think it was a very good test and say, you know what, guys, you're not ready. Because, you know, it wasn't too long ago that it's like, hey, we're going to wipe the dust off our feet, and now here we are, and you're talking about raining fire down from heaven? Well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So, whether it was a test for the disciples or not, doesn't really matter, but there's still some stuff in here for us to glean out of this. Ready for this? Revenge is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> My wife and I had this conversation just this past week. Did you all ever see that show called Revenge? Anybody? Yeah? 
Revenge. And it was on, I don't know, ABC or CBS or one of those. I don't know. But it's old. We watch old shows. You know, we wait until they're on Netflix or something. And then we'll grab it. But it re- there's a show called Revenge. I think it's based on the Count of Monte Cristo, the older story about the Count of Monte Cristo. But listen, we know it's not our place to seek revenge. And it's not good for us to go after those who despitefully use us. No, but we all, we're people, we're human. We all enjoy a good revenge story. All of you will probably say, you know what? It feels good when you see somebody get what's coming to them. If you ever watched those videos on Facebook where the, where the guy's driving like crazy and you just hope that a cop pulls out and, and when they pass you, you think, where's the cops when you need them? You just want somebody to get what's coming to them. That feels good to your flesh. It's revenge. But, this is what my doctor told me this past Friday. He said, if it tastes good, spit it out. (laughs) It's easier said than done. If it tastes good, spit it out. Revenge tastes good to you. It tastes good to James and John. They're like, man, I can just see it's like a big juicy steak. And a baked potato, it tastes good, spit it out, Chad. <laughs> but they, they were really, God, Christ, let us, you know, do you want us to do this? We'll do it for you. We got you. No. Be careful of pride. I see a little pride in James and John. As I say, well, Jesus, would you like us to handle this? We can pray fire down from heaven. I, I don't think they ever, ever pay, had prayed fire down from heaven. They're just trying to talk big and bad. Look how spiritual I am, Jesus. I will pray fire down from heaven for you. Pride. Power. Corruption. Kind of see all of that in there. But what Jesus is teaching is grace and mercy. I've, said, I've shared this before. What's grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And what is mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. I wish my mom had more mercy and grace on me when I was a kid. Um, you know, because, you know, there was a lot I deserved. I deserved every, every time I got in trouble, I deserved it. I did. She needed a lesson in mercy. <laughs> uh, mercy and grace. Yeah, my mom's uh, here with us. If y'all don't know, she's, uh, she's been with us for about a month and a half now. So, sorry I haven't in, uh, introduced y'all. There's my mom, Connie. <laughs> and my mother-in-law, Connie. I can't get away from the Connies. I had a boss at work named Connie. Appreciate your prayers. <laughs> uh, Psalm 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is graceful, is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Merciful means compassionate. 
full of compassion. It means to bend or stoop in kindness to someone who's, who may be inferior, to, to show favor or to bestow on them what they don't deserve. Romans 5, verse 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. Friend, if you don't know Christ and you think that you need to clean yourself up and that you need to make some changes in your life and that you need to be a better person before you come to him, you don't. He'll take you just the way you are right now. Because while, he says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He's here to help you and to show his mercy. The word grace comes from a a key word, charis, which sounds a lot like charity. It's, It's giving from your heart. It means kindness, favor, a gift or blessing brought to man by Christ Jesus. Kindness, which bestows upon one what he has not deserved. Grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. His mercy, he died for you. And his grace, he gave you eternal life. I like the way a pastor, uh, there was a, uh, one of the Bible study tools I was using um, for this message. This guy's name is Mike Altraj. He's a, he's a pastor of a church. And he described it like this. I'm going to read this to you. Um, it says, in his mercy, God withholds what we do deserve. In his grace, God heaps upon us infinite blessings. We do not deserve In mercy, he withholds what we did merit, eternal wrath, and in grace, pours out upon us what we could never merit, eternal life. Mm. Infinite joy, being one with Christ, being like Christ. And when we believe in Jesus, because of his grace, God gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us eternal life. Can you say amen? He adopts us as his children. He makes us joint heirs with Christ, gives us infinite riches in Christ. How about Yahoo? Is that better? Say amen. What's the most better? Woohoo! How about that? Let's do woohoo! One, two, three. All right, here we go. He gives us power and victory over sin, He lives in us. He conforms us to Christ. He causes all things to work together for our good. He causes all things to work together for our good. He hears our prayers. He gives us the gift of the Spirit. 
He produces fruit of the Spirit in our lives. He gives us good works to walk in. (laughs) He will never take his love from us. And someday, we'll see him face to face. Face to face. Face to face. Face to face, y'all. Woo! <laughs> the list could go on and on and on. He does so much for us. And he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He pours out his grace and he longs to pour it out on you. Don't stand in the way of his grace in your life. It's mercy. We have a lot to be thankful for. And then the blessings that just keep coming again and again and again. It's that grace. Be aware in your life. Look around you and recognize the grace of God. So many times we say, man, I got to get up in the morning. It's Monday and I got to work all day. Instead, we should say, you know what? I get to get up in the morning. And I have a job that I can go to. That is God's grace on me. I, my family, you know, they like to pick at me. Poor Chad. I'm mean, honestly, they just pick at me, pick on me all the time. Last week, last week, we were on the last song of the set list, and I all, I always. Um, tap the, the edge of the piano by the keys for whatever while I'm waiting to play I kind of tap to the beat and um, last week um, I accidentally hit the white keys too you remember that and all of a sudden bring so the rest of the song I'm like I got to pay really good to make up for that I get off the stage and what's the first thing I hear man what was that <laughs> I got God's grace at least. <laughs> um, Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. You know, so many people, they see God, and they see church and religion as stuffy, and it holds me back. It doesn't let me do the things I want to do. You know, it sounds like teenage kids, doesn't it? We act like, not these teenagers, not these, not, not these. I'm, just, I'm talking about the other ones you know, that you go to school with. You know the ones I'm talking about. We've all been there. We've all done it, so it's okay. But we, we kind of act entitled. And then, then we think, um, well, God's just there trying to look down and catch me doing something wrong. Nah, he gave his son for you. And he sits on high waiting to have compassion on you. You just need to turn to him. He's waiting on you. Well, what's God's will in my life? He's waiting on you. What does God want me to do, Right? He's waiting on us sometimes to take the time to listen. Stop operating in your own capabilities. 
Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Woo-hoo. Um, Gavin, do you want to come and, and, and play a little strum along? We're going to just talk a little bit about um, some practical application from, from this, these verses today. Um, sometimes it's hard, you know, when you get into Bible study, you kind of you see the, the events that took place and, and, you, and you understand what was said and what was done and we talk about motives. But what's important in your Bible study is to stop and ask yourself how this applies to me. How, what can I get out of this? So I hope what I'm going to share will help with, um, with that very goal. What am I going to get out of today? So I would ask you, are you actively learning what Christ came to teach? You know, because uh, James and John, they, they had um, the teacher, the expert. They walked with him. They traveled with him. They lived their lives together every day. And they still, hey, you want us to rain fire down the rabbit? I think that's a good idea. Now, how much more are we susceptible to getting the big head? Do we listen to the sermons and say, okay, well, check, walk out, go on about our lives and not apply the word? I like this one. You can say, well, I'm good with the revenge thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking for revenge. Yeah, I like a good revenge story. It's funny when the cop pulls him over and eh, whatever. But what is your default when things happen, what's your go-to? What's your initial reaction? Do you hope for revenge or are you free to forgive? Somebody cut you off. Road rage. Man, one time I was at Sam's. Real talk. I was at Sam's. Lakeland Highlands will look. Y'all been there? Right? So you pull in, and the, the building's here where you go in, and there's all these little offshoots for the parking lot. There's a stop sign. I get up to that stop sign, and the very first spot right there, they were getting in their car to leave. What do people do when they know you're waiting on their parking spot? I'm convinced they sit there extra long. And they did. And all of a sudden, the dude behind me starts blowing his horn. Well, go around, you know. I'm waiting. I had my turn signal. I was waiting on the parking spot. It wasn't hard to see. And the longer we sat there, the more he blew his horn. And then all of a sudden, the car starts to leave. And this dude swings out around me and gets my parking spot. My parking spot. I own it. Um, this verse did not come to mind. 
um, my default was he needs to get what's coming to him. Right? <laughs> Mercy did not come out of me. It was wrath. It wasn't grace. It was obstinance. I was right. He was wrong. I jumped out of my car. I opened my door. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what's your problem? And he gets out of his car. And he stands up. And he keeps standing. And he keeps standing. And he keeps standing. And I'm like, I should probably get back in my car now. (laughs) There were some choice words. I got back in my car and I went and parked. And my wife said, I think we should probably sit here for a little while and calm down before we go inside his hands. I didn't want to. He would have had me for lunch. I mean, neck and face tattoos. And he was that tall. Jesus saved me in spite of me that day. Um, But I think you got to examine yourself and learn what is my default. Because that's my default was not grace and mercy. It wasn't. And that's not a proud moment. Um, Challenge yourself. Look back at yourself. God, how can you sow grace and mercy in my life? Are you benevolent or stingy? Are you generous or selfish? Are you kind or are you cold? Christians, I think we need to do a better job of pursuing, pursuing humility. And all that means is, I count others greater than me. And that will put your grace and mercy in check. They're greater than me. I'm not talking because the dude was 10 feet tall. I'm not talking about him being greater than me in that way. But, but they're Jesus never counted himself. He never presented himself in a way that would say, I am, I am better than all of you. He went and he walked with them. And he talked with them. I think these are some of the deeper messages that's in this verse that we often miss. What is God trying to teach us? So I want to challenge you today to truly look into that word. Check yourself What's my default? And seek Christ so that he may help us to be a better witness to this world. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for, um, for your word. God, we thank you for the example you set for us. God, we pray that you would um, continue to work and speak to us. But God, that we'll yield ourselves to you so that we may be more like you. Help us to, be, to show humility to show grace and to show mercy. It's in your name.